this is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 208. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com, and I'm joined by Lisa Clow of Lock Refine Art. Lisa, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I am doing never better. This is the show about colored pencil, where we discuss pencils that have color in them. All right, so we're continuing our Q&A show. So our first question came from Amber, who write, I'm wondering about water-soluble colors such as Derwent ink tents and their LightFast writings. Were the LightFast tests performed on dry at or after water had been added? Because I imagine that would make a difference, wouldn't it? And how much difference, I wonder. Also, I love to work on colored pen- papers. Like, seriously love it, but I've not heard anyone address the LightFastness when it comes to colored pa- papers. I can't talk. Okay, so... This is actually a great question. Derwent tested only when dry. We have no idea what those light pass ratings are when wet. We don't know if that's going to be impacted. And I've been saying for the last, I don't know, four years, I was going to do a sample in my window and see if they're made any diff, you know, in the light. And I just haven't made that sample. I'm curious to see. It wouldn't be an official light fast test, but I'm curious to see if once water is added, what impact that has versus the dry pencil on the light fastness. So it is something, and I think any of us can test this. If you're curious on your own, again, this doesn't give you light fast rate. But this would let you know, like if you know something is rated, let's say an eight on the blue wool scale um, from Derwent when the pencil is dry, make a little color sample of that. You're going to actually want to make a control and you're going to want to make the one for the window, but um, make it, make the color sample of dry and then make an area where you've blended with water. Ideally use a distilled water. Don't use your tap water because you're not, you, who knows what's in that water that alone could affect the light fast rating. So distilled water is going to be ideal. Use that and then um, stick it in your window and see how much the one with water fades compared to the one that did not have water added. I think that's going to give you an idea of what those, and I I still need to do this test myself, but it would give us an idea of whether or not that was impacted. And then for the papers, the papers, that's kind of a funny one. So I looked into this myself a while back with the Canson Me 10s because I love their colored papers. There are ratings or reviews where people are like, it, it didn't even hit the light and it faded. Okay, well, then that's not a light fast issue. That's, I, I want, I don't know what's going on there. Is there an environmental, you know, contribution? Did someone maybe spray an aerosol and it got on there? I don't know. I have no idea how, and they posted photos where you could see parts of it faded really, really bad on black and blue were two that I had seen. Um, but Karen Dosh, or not Karen Dosh. Canson says in their own, like if you look it up on their website, that they are light fast, that they are pH neutral, that all that stuff. So for me, I do like working on colored pencil. And my general rule is I would tell anyone who purchased something on colored pencil where I let or colored paper, where I let that background show through, put it behind UV glass, just be safe, put it behind UV glass. And even then don't let it hit be hit by direct sunlight. Remember with any artwork, no matter how light fast, you still don't want it in direct sunlight. Those light fast ratings are under museum quality. 
quality, which means no direct sunlight at all. So, or museum conditions. I cannot talk today. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I feel safe enough. And you want to check from company to company. I mean, uh, I keep saying Carindosh. Canson claims that they are light fast. So I've not personally had any problems with them. But like I said, I don't let them hit direct sunlight. They're kept behind UV glass once for, you know, once they're going to be displayed. I have never personally experienced any fading from using my odorless mineral spirits on them. Nothing like that has seemed to cause any impact from what I've witnessed. But we're only talking about a sample size of a couple of years. So that's not, you know, not not going to be something you want to take too seriously, I guess, at that point. But that that's what I got from the research I did. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, I I think that would be a real fail if these companies uh, that are creating the colored papers created something that would just fade. I mean, that that doesn't make much sense, uh, especially if they're claiming to do something that, you know, they're in production is acid free, then why? I don't I don't understand why that that would happen. I don't I don't know. That's that's very interesting to me. Now, I will say that I've talked with Derwent and they claimed and let me let me look at the the date here. So this was sometime in I I, I'm not sure about the date, so I'm not going to say it. But anyway, they they gave me uh, some information uh, saying that they retested their ink tents line, and that so, and so they they let me know um, through a chart. They gave me a chart, and you can download that. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. They gave me this chart, and they said that you know some of the pencils, um, the ink tents line, did better when they added water to it. Now, I don't know how that's possible. I, I don't know, but that's that's what they said. That's interesting. Yeah. That's encouraging, and, too. Yeah, and, but but again, I, I can't wrap my head around it logically, but that, that's what they claimed. So, um, you know, I you can take that for what it's worth. Um, but anyway, I do have that chart if anyone's interested and you want to take a look at that. So they're using this water-soluble ink, but what are but what are they do? I mean, they've still got pigment in there, yeah. And then they're using water soluble waxes. Now, there's more than one. It's not just gum arabic. But the thing about that is, is that you you've got to make sure that, like we were talking about, under museum conditions, that this is a stable pigment that is being used, and not just a pigment. I'm trying to think of the word here as a stable medium that is being used and so uh, there's changes in temperature there's humidity that's affected uh, and when you put that inside one of these uh, light fast testing machines then this arc testing by a xenon uh, type of uh, machine that will you know push this in so many ways and then uv rays are uh, injected into this area they have a, a way of speeding that up. If they're able, if they're if they're doing this, and they're able to tell us, you know, with any degree of certainty that they're not going to fade, then I I guess I have to, you know, take that for what it's worth. I'm not going to be around in a hundred years anyway. I'm not going to be able to see some of that. Um, and really, I mean, seventy years of. I better I better start getting in shape if I'm going to be around <laughs> 70 years. But I mean, I I don't know. I'm going to take them for their word um at what they've done with it. I I can't 
you know, I can't do anything else. Like Lisa and I've talked about this before um, uh, offline. I mean, not on the show, but we've always talked about we need to do our own test. And like you, Lisa, I've not ever started that yet, but I have good intentions. I know um, it would take me five minutes, ten know, minutes to set up. Why haven't long. I done it? I have all the materials I need to I try this on. Know. Yeah, I, I don't know why I haven't done it either. But I mean, I, I guess the, the way that I look at it, I mean, re- recently I went out and um, painted this uh, particular restaurant that's uh, close to my house went out there and set up my easel and just did it on site and i used uh the in- ink tents what is that called in the it's in the, the little palette set yeah they're um, travel pan and that's really nice and so i, I just used that as sort of my underpainting so i'm going to go on top of that with uh, some light fast pencils and that's one thing i would recommend you use a belts and suspender method on this i mean you want to if, if you have anything that you're even questioning might be fugitive, use that as an underpainting. Go over on top of that with light, fast materials as long as you've used um, enough layers that you're, you know, really sealing that in. And then you're going to spray it and then you're going to protect it behind uh, glass, a UV protected glass. I mean, you're that's the way I approach it for myself so i mean that's that's an option if you really are very very worried about that then that's one thing i would recommend is trying to think about it like that that you're going to protect this and anything that you're going to use it might be fugitive in the least bit do that as something underneath now i recently heard a coloring book an adult coloring book artist uh, talking about how that um you know some of the colored pencils will yellow uh as they fade or whatever not true they don't do that they fade and they disappear they don't turn yellow uh they just disappear is what what happens so um that's actually worse i guess but uh i don't know yellow would be pretty bad too <laughs> um but anyway yeah that's what you want to do though you protect it by thinking about it in layers of protection as well yeah, I have to wonder, too, with the yellowing, what materials they were using and what they yeah, were um, potentially sealing with. Because I had somebody recently ask me about using resin as a sealing sealant for ooh. a colored pencil. And even if it didn't affect the underlying work, which yeah. I suspect it might have a weird chemical reaction, right. but even if it didn't, it's resin yellows. There is mm-hmm. no yellow mm-hmm. or resin that really doesn't right. yellow. Um, it's one of the, the problems with a lot of like the acrylic pouring mediums and stuff. Though people, a lot of them are using resin on top of those. Well, that's going to yellow it once that sun hits it. Yeah, in a bright I, I green, mean, that's going to yellow pretty fast. Do they still? I, I didn't know people really still use that though. For okay, that's there. A lot of people are using them as like a top coat. They're putting mm-hmm. a resin over the top. I just saw one today who made this really cool big thing that's going to be exposed to light all the time because they attached it to a vehicle. Um, they have like a square back and it's right. stunning but it's like oh that's going to yellow bad and yeah. it's not going to stay white like the vehicle um so i mean it'll look good for a bit right, but right. being in direct sunlight will will just speed those things along so it's one of those things you look at and you're like oh sweetie that's not gonna end well for you <laughs> yeah. well you know these companies have gotten better about understanding how light fastness works you know the permanence of uh, these mediums work and, and they borrow from other industries. I mean, if we mm-hmm. look at the dye industry in general and the the people that make the signs and things like that. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember seeing pink and white stop signs. I never yeah, see that anymore. You know, I never see that. So they're getting better about being able yeah. to protect uh, the color fastness of, of anything that uh, that they produce. Okay, so Alice asks, what are the best mediums to mix with colored pencils? The best medium, well, I don't know that there's really a best medium, but I I think there are some that kind of complement colored pencils quite a bit. And um, 
the the first one that comes to mind if we're talking about something that is not a colored pencil but works well with them is pan pastels. I think those work really well. Um, but pastels, soft pastels in general, not oil, but soft pastels in general would work uh, with colored pencils. But you get a lot of dust if you're not using it, the uh, pan pastels. Uh, but you can go over, you know, do a light layer, uh, and then you can still you can still use your colored pencils, oil or wax based on top of that. Um, but you can use watercolor mediums underneath as an underpainting kind of thing and then go on top with your oil or wax-based pencils, even spraying that, protecting it a little bit, and then using uh, solvent on top of that with the oil and wax-based pencils does work. Uh, if you get enough layers on that, you're not going to uh, damage anything or harm anything. Uh, those are some, I mean, I've seen some incredible stuff done, though, with ink. I've seen some nice stuff done with pen. Uh, and colored pencils mixed together. So uh, also we interviewed somebody. Remember that, Lisa? We interviewed uh, Morgan Davidson, and yeah. she talked about using an oil rub, which she did as a, a kind of a background, I guess, and then let that dry and did colored pencil on top of that. So I mean, I, the options are limitless. And I think this harkens back to another thing that we were talking about with regard to why it's so popular. It's a very versatile medium. You can do so many things with it and it mixes so well with so many other mediums. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that one. I would say my personal favorite are pan pastels or a watercolor base. Um, now, you do want to make sure you do it in the right order. You don't want to be putting your watercolor on top of oil and wax-based colored pencils because that's not going to be archival. But you could put the watercolor down first once you're done with that. Then you can put the colored pencils on top. of on top. So do watch that when doing mixed media. A lot of mediums that work well together do so, but they have to be done in a specific order. So, you know, just be aware of yeah. that. You may have said that. I don't know because it cut out. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Okay. Um, I know you always say that, so I was I was letting, letting you say that. <laughs> Thanks. I needed something to ask. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Our next question comes from Lynn, who asks, other than saying no, what advice do you have for doing a portrait, human or animal, from a less than stellar photo? <laughs> that's so a that's a really question. good question. So this is something uh, that's going to come up a lot. And my biggest piece of advice is master doing portraits from good reference photos first, because then when you get a lesser photo, you already know how you generally are going to put the wrinkles around a human's eye or how the fur should look, even though you don't have a good photo. I think that this it's not something that I would recommend a beginner artist jump into working from lesser than photos. I think when you're a beginner, it's even more important than ever than you that you work from high quality photos so that you learn how the anatomy goes together. You learn how the skin texture should be be painted or drawn. Um, one of the things that you can do, though, for animals, if it's a purebred dog, let's say you've got a chocolate lab. They all look pretty similar. I mean, close enough when you're going from one breed, you know, you're staying within the breed. So sometimes you can find reference photos, good photos of, let's say, again, a chocolate lab. You may be able to find a really good photo of one of those and apply this, the fur texture to the lesser than photo. Use the pose in the lesser photo. But if you can get some of the details that you can see in another photo, that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I can use for pet portraits. But when you're drawing people, I would say that the best thing you can do is make sure before you're willing to accept a lesser photo, make sure you're really, really good. And you've done lots and lots and lots from very, very good photos. You need to train your eye to know what to look for, know what to include, whether that be the way that anything from the wrinkles and lips, you know, that sort of thing you want to get from a good, good photo, because you can apply that to a lesser photo once you've done it multiple times from that great shot. 
and here's the thing. Of all the portrait artists that I know, of all the ones that I know, um, if they get a request to do a portrait and the reference is out of focus, most of the time, the ones that have been doing it for a while will just say no. And the reason for that, I mean, you might be able to get away with that a little bit if it's um, maybe a dog or something. But, you know, unless somebody has face blindness and there is such a thing, that's a, a disease, a neurological disease, um, they're going to know if it doesn't look like that person. It's a very difficult thing to do, is my point. Yeah. And if you get a bad, you know, just such a, a photo that is just so out of focus that you just are making guessing games all, all over the place and you're guessing on where the base of the nose is. That's a real big one, figuring out where the base of the nose is, the ball of the nose. Where is that? You know, that's that's a that's a tough one right there. And you can't, it's hard to guess on that. How far in is, uh, you know, does the... Uh, inner corner where the tear duct is, how far in does that eye, that piece of the eye go, that portion of the anatomy, um, how much shading is in there. If it's a bad photo uh, taken 50 years ago or so or, you know, and out of focus, that kind of thing. And if there's no other reference photos also available, then my biggest piece of advice, especially if you're just starting out, would be I would go back, though, to to the uh, how you predicated the question, and I would just say politely, no, thank you. Uh, there may be another artist that would be able to do that for you. But, okay, so on the other hand, if you're a, a bleeding heart like me sometimes and I've just – someone passed away or something and you just, you just want to do it because you care about it, uh, I understand that. I get that, and that goes for – um, animals as well, then if you are doing it, see if they have other reference photos. Just say, hey, this, the, hey, this was good. It was a little bit out of focus. So do you mind sending me over as many other reference photos as you have? I need, you know, several. And I would take 20 or more if it yeah. were me. And then I just try to find something that looks better. It depends, too, on the level of how out of focus yes, it is. Yes, it does. I mean, if somebody shows me, and I've had this happen a lot, here's a photo of my dog in the backyard across the yard where I can see it has legs. I'm not positive it's a dog at this point. I mean, you know, those photos, absolutely not. There, right. You know, it really depends on the degree of yeah, no doubt, yeah. how bad that photo is as to whether or not I, and there have been... I'd say as many times that I've accepted a, ref a, a commission, I've turned it, them down. Yeah. And what I generally would tell people, because you don't want to offend somebody and say, oh, that's an ugly, ugly photo. What I would try to, t to say is not all cute photos make for a good painting. And I'm telling you now that this photo is not going to get you the quality of work you're expecting from me. Like you've seen my really good portraits. I can't do that from this photo. And I had one lady who just argued and argued well you're amazing i know you can do it no i can't yeah i am that's telling a good you right tip. now i cannot deliver on what you're expecting from me and that's what i try to do as well that's a good tip to try to put it back on you don't put it on the person delivering the reference um because that, then they get defensive but yeah put it back on yourself and just say i i i'm not able to work from that i'm so sorry i'm just not that kind of artist um because you know it wasn't that long ago i had somebody ask uh ask me to do a dog and they gave me the reference and they said, it. I asked ahead of time, you know how this goes, right, Lisa? I said, well, is it uh, clear and in focus? And they said, yes, and I get it. And, of course, it's not. Um, they're focusing on something in the background way off, you know. And, uh, and so then I say, um, you know, actually, this isn't in focus. Uh, let me take a look here. And this was in person. But their first response is, 
you're saying I can't take a photo. You know, that's what's going yeah. on in their mind. You're saying that, you know, my $900 camera doesn't focus. Uh, you're saying, you know, all these other interpretations. And so you don't want to blame them. You want to put the blame back on yourself. And really, that's that's the best way to approach that is just say, I, I'm sorry, I just cannot work from. Yeah. And I've told this story several I've told this story several times, but it's something that we all need to really learn from. I was in a, an, an Italian Greyhound forum. That's the breed of dog that I have. I was in this forum. This is back years ago before Facebook or any of that. And this artist, she was a young artist, a college student. She did a portrait in colored pencil. She used a photo from someone in the group who was a photographer, like a professional wedding photographer. So she had a photo of her dog, the lighting, everything was amazing. I mean, she had the nail quick, the dog's nail quick show it display. I mean, it was the detail she got was insane. It was beautiful. And so all of a sudden, everyone in the art group's like, well, I want you to draw my dog. So one of my friends who's actually got several of my, my pieces of art, um, in her now she's got a lot of mine, but she contacted her and she's like, I want you to draw my dogs or paint my dogs. So she agreed to do it and she provided her the reference photo and what should have happened at this point, because this photo was horrible. She should have said, no, you're not going to get what you think you're, that's not going to look like what I just did. Instead, the artist took her money, took the deposit, did the painting, sent it to her, and it was one, it looked like, it was horrible. You would never guess this was done by the same artist. Now, this was not that the artist didn't have the skill. This is that the artist, and the artist is the, the one at fault here, not the client at all. The artist should have said, no, this is not going to yield you the results that you're, you, have seen me do before. I can't get the same kind of detail. It's not the same kind of photo. And the thing is, I know, look, I'm friends with this other girl. I've done this to her several times. I've made her take hundreds of photos before I got a good shot. I had to teach her how to get good photos of her pets. And she was willing to do that. So if this artist had said to her from the the start, been honest and said, I can't work from that, the, my other friend would have gone and taken more photos. It wouldn't yeah. have been a problem, but because she wasn't honest about this. And now, of course, sometimes it's a deceased pet or, or something like that where you can't get, go, get good photos. Right. But this girl, my friend, would never have hired her if she had any idea that the quality she was going to get is what she got. I mean, it was bad. It was almost like the silhouettes of a do- the dogs. They were on the couch, across the room, in the dark. You can't see anything. And that's pretty much what she painted, silhouettes almost. I mean, it was it was painfully bad and this artist is phenomenal so it's not an issue of her skill level it's an issue of that reference photo was bad and she's thinking oh this is the photo she wants i'll paint it just like the photo and she'll be happy no she's not she's expecting what the the quality of your other work was she doesn't understand you to be photoshop yeah exactly and she doesn't (laughs) understand that's not how it works it's the artist's responsibility to say no this is not going to get you what you want and that is part of our responsibility is to educate our client because they often think that they think that we're photoshop and that we can just invent things and create things that aren't even there so we have that's onus is on us we have to educate them on what we actually do so all right well these are great questions and uh, maybe you have one that's burning in your mind right now you can reach out podcast at sharpenedartist.com this is a weekly show, and we'll talk to you again. Oh, wait a minute. Lisa, do you, do you want to give your physical address? We asked last week. I just oh, no, no. You I'm, good. Your mind. I'm good. good? Okay. I'm going to be moving, so you know, it won't be oh. accurate anyway. <laughs> well, you can put a do not forward. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.